Captain Durant wants you on the bridge. She says she's picking up a planet on the long-range sensors and a subspace beacon that's repeating the same message over and over in some alien language. But that's not possible. But when this star went Nova, it would have destroyed every planet in its system. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And hey guys, it's Terry here. And uh, welcome to our third segment that's in November that's part of a Christmas episode of The Twilight Zone. It's a little weird, uh, but if you've been with us the previous two segments, you know kind of where we're at. It's uh, And we're now we're getting into outer space. We went from Santa to uh, copy machines that do things to other realities, and now we're going to space. It's been It's been a weird ride. In a distant future, too. It, yeah, that's true. So, uh, yeah, welcome to Strange Highways. This is the show in which we do watch The Twilight Zone and other anthology uh, things. Uh, we've covered the original series. Go back and check that. All five seasons are there. And uh, we've covered uh, the both Paramount Plus produced uh, seasons. And now we're into the 80s season uh, series. Uh, we're slightly past the halfway point of season one. Uh, we're now into season one, episode 13, segment C, The Star. Um before we get into that, though, um, I, two two things I want to talk about here. One, before I forget, because I'm not always great about remembering things, but I know, Terry, you'll, you will have opinions about this. Um, I was um, very grateful uh, to go on the Talk Without Rhythm podcast uh, a couple days ago uh, to talk about some neo-noir films. So it's episode 645, 1974 is The Conversation, and a film that Terry has talked to me a little bit about, 1981's Blowout. It's a great film. I mean... I. I can't speak highly enough about that film. Uh, it just blew my mind when I was younger. And then finally watching it when I was older and being able to appreciate it even more. It's, it's become one of those uh, classics for me, especially when you take into, you know, take into mind that this was, you know, eighties, like you said, like kind of neo-noir. Um, and then who is to Brian De Palma? Like Brian De Palma is a mastermind and it's like, it's, it's just incredible to watch his work. Yeah, though this is the first time watch for me. Really dug it. Um, the score, um, <laughs> some of the weird electric guitar stuff where people are walking around where it's like, duh, 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 like whatever. But like the main theme, um, the main uh, the orchestra parts of this are some. It's it's one of my favorite scores I've heard in a long time. John Travolta is actually um, at the height of his early Travolta ness in this, mm-hmm. and not being like just he's not. You, you you really care for his character, you know, and it's uh, it's a good movie. But I'd also say that the conversation with Gene Hackman is one of the best films I've seen in a long time. 
So people should go uh, check out both those films and listen to our very long conversation that myself and the Al Goro had over there. Um, and it's just, and, and, and Terry, I know that like we, we get into a lot of different genre things here, a lot of anthology, a lot of horror, a lot of weirdness. Like tonight we're getting into some sci-fi. Um, like I equated it to like, sometimes I forget that I like vegetables. I'm like, yeah, vegetables are pretty good too. Like I always forget that there's movies like this out there where I'm like, yeah, I do enjoy these. Maybe I should stop watching robots fight each other for a second and maybe watch some other movies in which there are no robots. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of nice to step away and get a bit of a kind of, a like a darker reality because I mean, Shit, man! Like that's yeah. incredible. That's an incredible film. I have not yet to be, uh, be able to take uh, take a look at that other film yet, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you guys had a great conversation, and it's always a good time listening to uh, El Goro and his amazing conversations with everybody on that podcast, and that, and even just his monologues too. Oh course. yeah, no, absolutely. That's why I was just like, I felt, I felt bad because I'm like. I'm like, you could probably do a better job of this by yourself. You know, like I just like my default setting is I come in and I make dumb jokes and then, you know, I nitpick. That's, that's what I'm really known for. I don't know. Anyway, but go check it out. I think we had a wonderful conversation about the conversation and blowout, which like, it's also a palate cleanser in a lot of ways. And not to, not to go too much on about this, where knowing the typical things that I watch as like comfort food, like I said, that's why I equated this to vegetables, not because you got to eat your vegetables, but it's more like, you know, have having a more varied diet is probably a good way to live life. Um, so I feel like there's times where I'm like, Oh yeah, I should get into these, but I knew I was going to watch both these movies a couple months ago. Cause I'd called my shot for the episode. So I, it was one of those things where I'm like, all right. It's like, I knew I was going to be in for like a feast and I was looking forward to it. So I got my mind right. Right. So it's like, um, but people, if you want some super, like the conversation is really heavy, and um, super serious to get into. Blowout's a serious film too, but it has a little bit more of like Hollywood like earmarks to it in terms of like some of the higher stakes of what's going on. They're both wonderful films. I'd recommend both of them. And please, if you guys are so inclined, check out the conversation that we had on that one. Uh, Talk Without Rhythm. Yeah, I can't wait to actually uh, have a, a good sit down with you and El Goro and have like a three uh, three person conversation about Blowout because I just, I absolutely adore that film. Just the cinematography alone oh, is just—I yeah. can go on for days about it. So I, I figured it would not take much for you to talk about the film that you like a lot that you've been telling me about for quite a while. So, um, all right. So other thing we got to get to our last time checking out the 1985 uh, J.C. Penney Christmas book. Uh, Terry, I sent you a link in the Skype chat to a page. Uh, this is probably going to be your favorite page of the J.C. Penney catalog. I don't know if you can click on that and look at it because this is a franchise that you have been a champion of for quite a while. This is mask. Something- <laughs> I love mask. Yeah, mask right? is the bomb, dude. Yeah. So explain people what mask is. So they have an understanding. Okay. So it is like, basically it's a crime fighting unit of sorts that have these vehicles that are able to turn into like, uh, combat vehicles. So the one guy had a Ferrari, I believe it is. No, it, it, it's more. Well, yeah, I guess it is a Ferrari, but it has like the weird doors that wing up like a DeLorean and then it's able to fly. And it's like, it's just so cool. Like, I don't know. It was like, I, it was one of those eighties things it, that it, only could exist in the eighties. It's, it's like, it's like a combination of GI Joe transformers and Knight Rider is kind of what yeah. it is. Right. Like, and I looked it up here. Mask stands for uh, mobile armored strike command with a K 
And then they would fight Venom, which stood for Vicious Evil Network of Mayhem. <laughs> Acronyms were a thing. <laughs> right. It's so great. It's so great. Yeah. Uh, dude, I love Mask. Uh, they've been trying, like... Well, it's Hasbro, so they have it. So it's like it needs to... They've been yeah, teasing they, coming, like, actually making, like, a movie. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the, the new stage of what was supposed to happen with, like, the whole Hasbro, uh, I think, Paramount mashing was that they're going to reload the gi joe series and that mask and uh micronauts and it's something else was all going to be like rom up. It was, uh, rom the space rom, knight yeah. and transformers they were going to try to bring it all together like it's all expanded yeah. universe thing which i i i'm really interested to see how they do it but i also know that it's going to be all michael bayed out you know well, I mean, we'll see, but we'll see if it even happens. I mean, I don't know. It's been talked about for a while. We've not seen it, but I like, uh, I like the description here for the mask Boulder Hill playset. It's an authentic looking gas station to us, but to the unsuspecting enemy, it becomes an armored bunker features include jail, gas pump, flamethrowers. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Armored walls, anti-gravity howitzer and gun seat on top of Hill, uh, cannon over gas station area. None of this seems like OSHA approved, um, <laughs> service center for vehicles. Okay, good. Trap door. Always important. Uh, uh, was it a uh, Gatling laser sign swing open escape wall and more, uh, two figures, two masks, and mini comic book included. Imported from Taiwan, and they get the forty two ninety nine. Also, I mean, if this is a real gas station, I need the um, area where you got the hot dog roller, and you could also get the tornadoes. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I need, I need the actual gas station part to be a gas station, and not just um, this. Uh, I don't know, man. This feels like a like a militia bunker that um, that they're coming across. I feel like I need to find this now. Uh, probably Applejacks here in the Cleveland yeah. area might sell it for like and I'm going to turn it into yeah. one of those. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then I also like the Rhino tractor rig looks innocent, but the power ramp front bumper swing down exhaust attack cannons, ejection seat control center and sleeper unit and swiveling radar dish. Wind reflector promise lots of action. Um, I don't know that Rhino tractor rig looks like it's down to party on a Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I knew you'd be over the moon seeing this entire uh, page of all the mask stuff. Uh, yeah. People look it up M A S K, right. That's how it's spelled, but it's all like, you know, it's all an acronym. Um, not an acronym. It's, badass, it's, it's not, and you just said it's not an acronym. That's not the way, but yeah, it's a, it's, um, was an acronym. Is that the right word? That's not the right. Word. I believe so. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, if people listen to the show that, they would know that I have a habit of not using the correct words, but I thought that's what it means. Like no acronym. acronym. It's just, no, it's, it's, I said the word too many times. I forgot. I couldn't, you know, like you say something out loud enough. You're like, what is this? So the next thing I'm going to send you is an image that I need to remember to just post without context on, on our Facebook page. I'm just going to send this to you next. This is an image from a page nearby. Um, I have questions about this. What the, what is that? It's a, I, it's, it's, a, it's like a kid. A it's a, he has a little bulldozer, bulldozer with a handle. But if you look at that kid, uh, is he on his knees or is he that tall? That's what I have to ask. He he is on his knees. You sure about unless that? Unless he's unless he's buried up to like his <laughs> shins. Yeah. Like the thing is working against him now. Yeah, but he, he's he's smiling. He's like I'm stuck. And then his parents are like, Well, this is what you wanted. But it's kind of <laughs> like a bulldozer with like it's almost like a bulldozer. It's a play. It's a toy bulldozer but also it has like almost like a lawnmower handle, like a push mower handle on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that it's like a Roomba 
But instead of picking up dirt and removing it, it just takes the dirt and covers your kids with it. That's fine. I think I think that's a win-win, right? So I think that's perfect. I just like to look how happy he is. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, my parents got this for me, but they couldn't get me a good haircut. <laughs> well, I, I just want to see how this uh, photo shoot plays out, really, because the kid probably, you know, he looks like he's pretty happy about playing with it. And they're like, okay, off to the next photo shoot. And he's like, but I like the dozer thing. And then rips it out of his hands. <laughs> the, the executives with their glasses. But, on, wasn't like, that the joke in like Ghostbusters 2 where it's like, well, give her the puppy. They're testing like the, the little kids at the beginning. It's like, now take the puppy away. <laughs> like, <little> thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that kid, that kid looks way too happy for uh, like, I want to do uh, manual labor growing up, which is not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, just anyway. <laughs> Because well, there's there's I mean, a lot of there's a lot of good money and a lot of uh, pride in working infrastructure, but this kid's way too happy about it. I mean, I would have thought this was badass. I, I think uh, it was a failure on my my grandparents for not getting me this. I probably would have been driving around one of these out. You know, yeah. I mean, the, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, like so we always had like the dirt pile like nearby somewhere that you'd always build like roads and stuff with your matchbox cars. So yeah, I'm uh, sure I would have used this for that. Right, like it, it would have been fine. Cause you got to build, you got to build ramps. Yeah. Uh, you sent me something else. The last now. thing we'll talk about here, this, this I want right now. I want this right. I, I have, I have talked myself out of buying smaller setups as an adult somewhat recently. Cause I think it'd be a fun, uh, thing to have people over for this. I, I swear to Christ, there was something I was going to buy, but it was like the cars were something like at, I, I don't know if it was like Ecto one and something else. Like it was like a Ghostbusters crossover, but there was two vehicles on it, and I wanted it. So this is like, this is it, it man. I it, want it's, it's a slot car track, is what it is, right? If people remember yeah. those, you could have the different, like you could, um, you know, use the guns that like look like they just shoot sparks. Um, you could have your little cars on the the slot gun track, and um, you could race them around, but then also not care because you're a little kid and not not slow down during the curves and have these little cars go shooting all over the house. Um, but yeah, it was always this. I, I love these things growing up. Cause then also as an idiot kid, you're like, I'm going to build a ramp and just see how far I can launch these in the air. You know? Cause that's the first thing always like this toy is cool. Can I bring it to almost the point of breaking it into do something different with it? I think this is how the people of West Virginia learned how to drive was from this thing here, because I swear the last time I drove in West Virginia, <laughs> This is kind of what it was to set up between the mountains and everything. And it was two lanes and everybody was going like pedal down all the way. It was, I was scared. <laughs> I was scared. I just, I like that you cast, uh, you cast a negative light on me cause I grew up uh, there and I, I got my license there. Um, and I just talked about driving off of uh, ramps with this as a kid, like the, and you're like, yeah, I think that's what they learned how to drive on. Um, yeah. now it just sounds like, yep. I can't, I can't disagree with it. I guess. Um, I, I, I will say that my you know mom, once, about. my mom once told me, she's like, if you can learn how to drive in the winter here, you can drive anywhere. And I still agree with that. Um, cause we, there was, there is uh, some windy stretches of road where you, there's blind curves, uh, that it's a 55 mile an hour, um, speed limit, you know? Yeah. So, and the, and the yeah. truck runoffs and everything, like I, that's one of the first times I ever saw like the tractor trailer runoff things. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, this is some serious shit right here. Well, that's on the highways. <laughs> I'm talking like state routes where it's just two lanes, right? Like there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, uh, leeway <laughs> sometimes with the, some of those routes. 
but yeah, I, I like the idea. It's like, yep, I learned how, I learned how to just go full tilt on these little slot car tracks. And I'm like, you know what? I'm 15. I got a permit now. Same thing. Voop, you know what? Anyway, so I, I kind of want this set up. It's $74 at the time for this large slot, a slot car setup. Um, yeah. Like I, w- I want one now. They, they still kind of make these, but they, they there's ones that they make that are not, the car isn't dependent upon being slotted into the track, which I mean, makes sense from a technology standpoint, but I think that kind of ruins some of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Now this one too, like if you were to have this in that aircraft carrier from GI Joe, I don't know where you'd sleep in the room. Why would I, I why would I sleep? I'd have two <laughs> awesome things. Uh, that I'd be playing with the entire time. My wife'd be like, "Get up and go to work." I'm like, "Nope," you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I'd go out and move the snow with that weird uh, bulldozer thing that I made you look at. So anyway, um, so yeah, that's uh, the 1985 JC Pitta catalog. If you guys Google it, you can find this. The this where we where I was at in this catalog, I was at like page 445. So there's plenty of things to dig into here. So. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Again, everybody tell us what you would have wanted in Christmas in 1985. Um, and if, you know, if it's a slot car track, I, I, you know, I agree. Um, and then if you get one, let me know. I'll come over and we'll race. It'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So I'm coming over for, for sure. If you get, if you get that one set, dude, I'm, th- I'm there. Yeah. We're going to just like, we're going to record an episode where it's literally just going to be you and I, and it's going to be like. The, the the sound of crashing plastic. Yeah, no, it's going to be the sounds of us like just like like you won't hear us talking. You hear zoop, and then us getting up and walking from the microphone, putting the car back on the track. Yeah, that's that's what's going to happen. Uh, and then um, I will inadvertently like f- like sit down on one of your mask toys and break it, and then we'll not be friends anymore. That's what's going to happen. I'm sorry, Terry. I saw the future. Anyway, you can't, yeah. you can't do that, man. You I hope can't. not. I'll be like, I thought it was a gas station. I didn't know it was a full floor bunker. I thought I was destroying a gas station. Anyway, um, so that's the toy catalog. Uh, so we should get into uh, the the episode improper. Uh, this is uh, season one, episode thirteen, segment C, the star. Uh, so let's get into who did what here. All right. So our director on this is. Gerd or Gerd, Gerd, Gerd. I think it's Gerd. Gerd. I feel like it's uh, t- uh, talking like uh, in uh, South Park, the South Park episode where they're like, so Gerd, Oswald, Oswald, I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. So we had just recently talked about this gentleman during the beacon. He he directed that episode. And uh, he did an episode of uh, Outer Limits. I'm not sure how much more we want to talk about him since we more recently talked about him. This would actually but. be like his last work that he would do. Um, so uh, he, um, I'll get into some of the trivia a little bit later. But yeah, it was his work on the Outer Limits that actually got him this this portion, this segment to do. Um, but yeah, this is one of the last things he did. Not that not that he passed away like immediately after, but this is one of, like I think his last directing gig. Okay. So then uh, our writer here, uh, we have two credits. Uh, the story initially is done by Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, some people may know that name for, for he done uh, the screenplay or participated on the screenplay for 2001 A Space Odyssey. And I'm not really familiar with his work otherwise, but apparently it was a pretty prolific uh, science fiction author. Yeah. I mean, 2000, well, like I, I think he, well, and he also wrote the sequel. Was it 2010? The year we make uh contact. Um, and actually I want to say that he actually wrote the book. 
uh, Space Odyssey before it was turned into the film, which people are going to tell me, like, they're going to be like, yeah, you idiot. He was a prolific writer. I, yeah, he, the guy is, um, was like one of those towering figures in science fiction. So yeah, he did a lot of, he's did a lot of writing. A lot of his works were adapted. Um, very, very, very big deal in uh, science fiction writing, which, um, I should be a better versed. Uh, but I just, it's one of those things that I know of him. I'm not, you know, dug in. Uh, he, he was around till 2008. So, uh, it was 90 when he passed away. I uh, will get into more, a little bit about his awareness of this adaptation of the story when we get to like the trivia. Okay. So then, like I said, there was a second credit on here for the, the, uh, the writing was, a. Uh, the screenplay for this was Anna, Alan Barnard. Um, we we keep on talking about him. He's kind of a he's kind of the man who uh, was participating in one way or another throughout most of the series uh, in the '80s here. So I'm not sure how much more we want to say about him at this point. No, he's one of the mainstays, and he's one of the people behind this iteration of the Twilight Zone. So we've talked about him plenty for sure. Yeah. So then we'll get into our cast here. So Fritz Weaver uh, he plays Father Matthew Costick. Costigan, uh, uh, I think. Yeah, Costigan. Uh, so two episodes of the original series of the Twilight Zone. Um, so the uh, third from the sun. I don't know why I put six thirty uh, sixth third from the sun. I <laughs> That's even further Costigan. away. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. So third from the sun. Uh, the and the obsolete man. Yeah. Uh, he just um, third from the sun's. It's a fun little story. Uh, the Obsolete Man is one of the best episodes of the original series. It's him and, and um, Burgess Meredith, uh, mm-hmm. and it's it's a it is the last episode of season two, and it, it is it's a banger. Like it's it's so good, and he's really good at playing like this uh, mouthpiece for like an authoritarian, and it has a lot of this um, like uh, German expressionism and some of the the set design where he's like on this high podium, judging uh, Burgess Meredith for being a religious man. Um, and how like the state has like removed all religion. Like it's, it's a really, really good episode. And Fritz Weaver, um, is he's really good at playing a bad guy in that. Yeah. And then, um, did some work on the X-Files, uh, series, but the thing I recognized him from was he was in creep show. He yeah. was in the crate, uh, uh, segment of the movie. I always get him confused with the gentleman that's an, um, a reanimator. Like, I, yeah, yeah. At, at first I thought it might've been him as well, but then I was like, Oh, wait, 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 no, that it's not that gentleman. No, it, but they have a very similar look to each other. Yeah. Especially at this point with the way they have like the Reed Richards hair going on or whatever. And I'm just like, is that the guy from reanimator? Yeah. But, uh, but like she wanted me to be like, Oh, it's Fritz Weaver for one of my favorite episodes of the twilight zone. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's him. Like it took like, it took me looking at the notes to be like, Oh shit. Th- this, like, this is one of those like wonderful connective tissues between the series. Yeah. So then uh, next year we got Donald Muffet. Uh, he plays Dr. Chandler. He uh, di- he worked on uh, Night Gallery, uh, the Popeye movie. And then the, uh, the thing that I, I'm sure everybody would recognize him from, he was in The Thing. The, yeah. uh, the, uh, the John Carpenter remake of the original uh, Thing from Another World. And he's he's really good at it. I mean, everybody in that's really good. But he has, the, he has the, um, probably the best like tension breaker joke 
in the whole movie where he's like, it, it was it? Couch. Yeah. You'd be like, if you'd be so inclined to get me off this effing couch, you know, like that's, yeah, he's good there. He was also in clear and present danger. Very, like very recognizable actor um, here with the, <laughs> the facial hair here is like crazy, but I was like, oh yeah, it's that guy from the thing. Uh, you know, so I was excited they, to see him. They needed the, they needed to match the energy of his eyebrows. So, <laughs> and I think they did it well. I, I want to believe that they're like, oh, he went into makeup. They're like, well, like, do you want to shave the eyebrows? He's like, no, that's, that's just, that's part of me. Like, all right, well, I guess we'll do everything else to, to kind of even it out. He's like, all right, good enough. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they put some mustache wax on his mustache and his eyebrows. Oh, Jesus, man, those yeah. were popping. Yeah, um, like the older I get, the more I like, like the more like eyebrow hair becomes like a thing. Cause you just like, like that and like hair, like ear hair. It's like, it, like, I feel like I'm becoming like slowly becoming like a really shitty werewolf where I'm like, what, what is going on here? You know? And it's like, I'm always worried. Cause like you could tell, I don't know, like you see sometimes where there's old people where it's like, you you know, you could just, you could just trim that. Right. Like this isn't, that isn't a Venus flytrap. Like you, like it's not, you can, you can clean that up. Donald Moffat never cleaned it up. No, he, he really, he, he was sticking with it, man. And more power to him because yeah. he definitely gave him a very unique look. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he will forever live on as the eyebrow eyebrow guy. I'm sure, I'm sure I also would have a unique look, but for wrong, like the wrong reasons. If I let that, you know, one that would grow out, like it, it like I would almost look like Jordy Verrill, uh, at the end of a uh, creep show, but it would just be like eyebrow hair and uh, ear hair versus like, you know, space fungus, you know, like it would be bad. I would not like, so yeah, it would be, it would be unique. I don't know if that's a good quality. Not, well, I mean, at least unique is something that you can carry on. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, so in yeah, next and last credit that was put on here because there definitely is some people in the background, but the last credited actor here is Elizabeth Huddle Nyberg. Uh, she plays, uh, commander or what is no it's it's a captain 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 duridan so she played in some episodes of hill street blues and i wasn't really familiar with anything else yeah like just 20 like like sorry just 20 20 tv credits uh i did not recognize her so all right um yeah uh the star um this so it's weird to me that like we we had night of the meek um the update of that which we talked about two weeks ago and then we have Buck Hinchy type, which I thought was kind of like, why does this exist? Now we get like this real heady sci-fi story that has a lot to say, but it has less runtime than either of the other two segments. And it's like, it almost feels like it, it's almost a one act play. Does that, does that make sense? Where it just feels like, all right, two characters. We got um, father Matthew Costigan uh, and uh, Dr. Chandler. They're on a spaceship going somewhere to this distant star that was a Nova. It went supernova, like, you know, a millennia ago and they're observing things, but it happens to be around the time of Christmas earth time. And you could tell these two guys are their friends and they were, they're respected like colleagues of each other, but you got the father who, by the way, he's also like an established scientist. I don't want to forget that, but he's a man of faith. And then you got, um, you have Chandler who was a man of science and it's almost like you could tell that like they're never going to see the other side of each other's arguments, but they appreciate the discussion. Yeah, there's a little bit of ribbing going on between the two of them, and I, you know, I think if, especially if somebody knows that you're not trying to be overtly like insulting 
that you can kind of have these conversations. I know that I have these conversations with people of faith. I'm not a person of faith, but I can still have uh, calm and uh, innocent conversations where these people where we could have fun kind of poking at each other. Yeah. And that seems to be their relationship. And, you know, again, we're, you know, we're in the cosmos right now. So I, it, it's just like, it's a mutual respect where they try to find footing between each other. But even then it's like when they have these conversations, they catch like kind of stalemate each other while having these conversations. Like, Oh, well you got me there. I can't really explain that one way. Yeah, I mean, at least um, we get the idea that with the father, like he is, um, he's some kind of like uh, geologist or something. Like he can, like he uh, knows how to, like you know, ex- like he actually trusts the science of a lot of this stuff, which I think is like, I, it's, it's, um, it's a, it's valid to the story, but it's like so, the 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 conversation, the dichotomy between these two feel not dissimilar to uh, Donald Pleasance and I forget the other gentleman's name and uh, Prince of Darkness. Like how Donald Pleasant's character is a priest and um, the other guy who was like, you know, um, uh, like a physicist, like he's like, hey, something's going on. Like we need to figure this out. And they're coming up. They're coming at the problem from two different sides. I, th- I get the similar vibe of these guys where they, they respect that these people put this much time and, and study into their position that there has to be merit there, even if you don't don't understand their position like a thousand percent. And I think. Um, as fast as this episode travels, uh, and it's real, this, the segment zips right by, but I mean, because of the runtime, I don't know about the story, the pacing's a little weird. Um, but you get like a warmth and a familiarness with the both of them that whenever we get to, uh, to what is actually going on, where after, um, what was it, uh, uh, Chandler was like, Hey, you know, like, you know, that you know, happy holidays or whatever. He's like, by the way, he's like, um, we got a present for you. And the father's like, what? He's like, uh, uh, you know, um, we discovered a distress, a, a, an alien signal, which before I let me back it up. One here, I have three observations for you, Terry. One, the spaceship they're on, it's penis shaped. Let's just, let's just get that out of the way. It's penis shaped. We know <laughs> very, much yeah, so, very, yeah. very much so. Very much so. Two, um, Father Costigan, space priest, which I love that he's wearing a space suit, but he actually has like um, the priest collar. I think that's kind yeah. of like. It's kind of, kind of works. I'm glad they yeah. were able to work that in. Yeah. Just in case you <laughs> didn't know. Right. Uh, and then, um, and then, um, Donald Moffat is Dr. Chandler. He's space Santa. That's what I wrote in my notes. Like, like his, his hair, I have no idea what's going on, but it's like, I almost like, it almost reminds me a little bit of like Lloyd Bridges from airplane when he's sniffing airplane glue, where it's like his hair is just going out. You know, it's, that's where we're going with this, you know? But yeah, I just, those are my three physical observations before we get further in the story. I honestly would have uh, really taken a closer look at the uh, wardrobe for this because <sighs> I, if I was Fritz Weaver, I would have been so pissed off. These outfits do absolutely nothing for the the, the body structure of an older man. <laughs> Poor Fritz, Fritz Weaver has absolutely no ass. Yeah, and all, it, so like bad for the, dude. the way I could describe it, because there was there was budgetary issues on the segment. Surprise, surprise! All the spacesuits are like, "Hey, you know what would be a cool look? Jiffy Pop." Yeah, right. That's probably the best approximation of what this looks like. Like purple Jiffy Pop outfits, because they're a little bit baggier on the top yeah. too, and just absolutely like non-forming to well yeah. like two, two forming i guess to the body structure otherwise like it's just 
it does it man i would have fired whoever this was or at least given them a stern talking to be like i can't no <laughs> like you, i can't g- put that give, give that man an ass please we need to you know? do better blocking here because we, these guys have yeah. no asses They're right like, now <laughs> we, we spent so much money on the on the dick rocket you know we have a prominent dick to start this off we need to get this guy some ass you know anyway <laughs> um yeah right yeah. need to balance this out we've got to yeah you know you just you gotta you gotta yeah like, right give him cock pieces <laughs> <laughs> Like they they go to the, like they go to like uh Bert was it um oh was it Bert Ward not Bert Ward who played Robin on uh Batman sixty six and go to him and be like hey can we can we borrow some of your props and be fine yeah isn't that Bert Ward I think it's Bert Ward yeah right yeah, I'm sure of it. <laughs> like can we borrow your codpiece please and thank you <laughs> um, no um so anyway so we find out um that because of this the signal they're actually going to like a distant planet or moon or it's 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 a you know. It's a large enough object that they're that they're getting a signal from, and uh, the the father the father um, Costigan is like that doesn't make sense because this you know this this part of the like there was a supernova right this whole star destroyed everything how are we getting a constant repeating signal so they go down to the surface of this of this object. Uh, and it's it's a cool look. I mean, for what it is, it's a cool enough looking little matte painting. But then, but then we get the space helmets on, and I'm like, I just, <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it works. Like we get it. Like we've watched plenty of '60s Twilight Zone where none of that made sense either about how space works. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the audio is a little off too. Yeah, I like how that worked out. It's because it was <laughs> at least from the, the transfer of what this looks like to me, it, the 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 lips of the people were working, uh, moving, but it was like a bad Kung Fu film where like nothing synced up. Well, and the, I, uh, the audio is a little echoey on purpose and we'll get to, we'll get to the production design a little bit about the, the, um, budget and stuff later, but yeah, it wasn't perfect. Um, but then, uh, but, but it's like, so they get down uh, into this, this thing, it's this big, uh, you know, structure and they're like, Oh shit there's a lot of information here. There's like, like this entire ancient civilization, like they're finding out like, um, Oh, they left all their history and all these paintings that look like matte paintings. We didn't use for this episode. And I also like how, like how, how do you show future documents? Just make it like clear plastic with stuff on it. That, that tells you that it's the future. Like, or sorry, not future, but like an advanced technology. It's just whatever. So we're finding out more and more about the society that buried their entire um, existence into the bedrock of this mountain on this like moon or planetoid. Yeah. And uh, so, and upon further investigation, it's kind of, it's basically a, um, I guess it's a vault um, that, you know, was fortified to make sure that whatever was contained in it, made it to whoever may find it like a, a time cap yeah. of sort. Yeah. And, I have uh, questions about that. Like if it was good enough to hold materials, why wouldn't it be good enough to hold people? Hey, whatever. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean like the, the, the main, uh, you know, goal here is to protect all the arts and artifacts of the civilization, which I get that to a point, but if it, I don't know about you, but as soon as I heard the distress signal or whatever they were hearing, I was like instantly thinking of, alien you yeah. know like yeah, i was like wait a minute something's gonna go event really, horizon you know like <laughs> yeah like something's gonna go wrong here real fast and i know you know obviously this predates event horizon but 
when you hear distress signal or, you know, a far off signal, you get a little weird. Well, and that even like, goes back to, what was the name of that episode in season four? Was it called Death Ship that we talked about that had a... Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, the, where the knocking. It, well, no, no. That was no, the no, 30... That, that was, was 30,000 30, grave. 30,000 yeah. grave was. Uh, but yeah, Death Ship was the one with Jack Klugman and his crew on the spaceship and they found a crash ship, right? But they heard the, like there was a signal or something, right? Anyway, they're like, we should go down and check it out. And I'm like, maybe you shouldn't. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, time and time again, we've, we've been uh, taught. Don't <laughs> just, just don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, do they need help? Well, I mean, maybe the next spaceship will get it. It's fine. Right. Let's go back to, let's go back to our weird potato, uh, baked potato outfits and just hang out on the bridge and uh, share, share uh, uh, facial hair grooming tips. How about that? Anyway, <laughs> Right. Uh, and, and like how we could use our just for men. Just in the right areas to make us look more distinguished yeah. than the other old guys at the at the bingo hall, <laughs> the space bingo hall, just for us men. That's anyway. So, uh, but yeah, so they start discovering like whatever the society was. Um, they, they had like a thousand years of peace. They had all this stuff going on, and um, they're they're they basically like whenever Costigan finds out this was actually like a peaceful race of people, and that they achieved something that is like unheard of, but they, they died. He was like, you know, oh, God have mercy on their souls. And then, um, uh, what was it? Chandler was like, Oh, like now, like, you know, the God that you believe in, why would he let this happen? You know, like if there were such, if they were such a, a good force for the, like the universe and they figured it all out, why would he let something like this happen? And then, uh, you know, uh, Costigan's like, well, you know, like stars blow up all the time. And it's like, that seems like a flimsy, flimsy statement of like, well, you know, God can do all these things, but you know, it's almost like, you know, it'd be like you and I like making food in the kitchen and be like, Oh shit, that burned. Well, we can't control everything, but oh, well. Right. Yeah. Just a kind of a hand, hand waving to how the uh, entire universe works, which again, like maybe you can't really explain everything, but at the same point, if you know that this higher power has a will, and you know that they were such a good race and, you know, they, all these things that they were able to accomplish within their, 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 you know, I guess really a short span of time and to have complete peace over their entire planet. That's a hell of a thing, you know, if only, yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's never going to happen, but yeah, if only, but just, yeah. So like the question of if he is this malevolent or malevolent, like being, who is able to control with any, you know, snap of the finger, who goes and who stays, why them? I, I mean, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of a nice question to ask, you know, like make, make people look a little bit inward when they say certain things like, well, it's God's will. And I don't mean this to turn into a, uh, you know, me sitting on my chair in, you know, in my office saying like me preaching the other side of it. This is what the episode is about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and also it, 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 it's purposely at odds with what, well, cause even earlier, whatever the, the father's challenging the doctor where he's like, you know, look at all, like, look at all this stuff. And he's like, and the, the doctor's like, well, I see, you know, random, like, you know, events that have happened. And, and the father's like, well, the events may have been random, but the purpose was intentional. It's like, with this, it's like, okay, the, the, these people got wiped out 
um, and it like that happened and you're like, Oh, I wish it hadn't happened. It's like, so it was a purposeful or intentional, you know? And it's like, that's, and that's where a lot of these, these, um, like theological and philosophical discussions get hung up on. It's like, well, you know, the whole, uh, the whole uh, question is like, why does God let good people die? You know, like, and then that usually comes down to, well, a, it's unknowable and B, you know, it's, it, it's to, to show like, it's going to lead to something better later or C it's like, it's a test of faith. And it's like, you know, me personally, I don't really buy any of that. However, you know, Alan Brenner did writing the, 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 the take on the short story. So, um, but yeah, we get to like the, the, was it, um, the, the, uh, the other, the other person has a speaking role here, uh, uh, Captain Durant, uh, Elizabeth Helen Iberg comes in and talks for a second and has, uh, hands off some readings to, uh, Father Costigan and to have him confirm like some kind of gaseous readings and like a historical accuracy thing. Good on him. They actually be like, yeah, I trust the science, you know? And then in the meantime, she's like, oh, I found this thing. It's like, well, it's a music cube. I'm like, oh, okay. And it's then, a zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then she waves her hand over it. And I'm just laying my notes here. I was like, this is some kind of music cube. It seems to play really shitty made for TV music is what I wrote uh, in my notes here. Like, Oh, how did they have, how did they have shitties 80 um, score music 3000 years ago? They were really advanced. Yeah. Guys like, I, I don't like the grateful dead. Can you please turn that off now? <laughs> <laughs> It's not the great. I, hate, that, but I how, hate jam bands. No, Please stop. How great would that have been? Like, hey, this is this is some music. Um, this is from three thousand years ago. And it's just like it's like a, a thirty-seven minute long fish song. You're like, oh god damn it! <laughs> like, it just keeps on going. Yeah, you're like, you're like, it's this primitive music, and it's called Baby Shark. You're like, shh, 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 shh. you know, whatever. Anyway, um, but it also kind of like it kind of puts like a these were people they had their own lives, like they had their own existence, right? So you get a little bit of that, but then we get to, and this is, um, like I said, this is the end of the, the, the segment where, where, um, Costigan is like sitting on the bridge of the ship and he's like his, his head in his hands. He looks defeated. And, um, you know, Chandler comes in and he's like, Hey, what's going on? And the father's like, well, there's something I didn't tell you. And he's like, what? He's like, well, these, these readings are accurate about when the star went like supernova, and, um, the, when it went Nova, um, that it took 3000 plus years to travel from there to, to earth from the light of the explosion and that he was able to figure down to the minute, to the moment, to the location of where this, this explosion would have been seen. It would have been over, um, Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. And that's what the wise men found as the light to guide them to Bethlehem. And so he was like, and, and, you know, um, Chandler's like, is that correct? He's like, and credit to, you know, Fritz Weaver and also the character of Costigan to be like, he was distraught. He was like, yeah, it's right. Like the fact that he didn't question the science. I'm like, Hey, look at that. Look at that story. We're watching in 2022. Huh? Look at that. That's weird. <laughs> you know, like he trusted, he trusted the numbers presented to him. Like good on you father, but he was distraught. He's like, why would like, like if this was the thing that my whole faith is based upon, like the origin story of things I believe, it's almost like a cruel joke that these peaceful people and the society was wiped out just to give us like, like a wink towards where we're going to find our savior. And like he, 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 he is, he feels guilty and feels like he's been lied to. And I think that's, I think that is effective for what it is. Yeah. It, I, I think it's an interesting uh, concept to make the guy who is so steep in this belief to have 
this kind of be the the dynamic, you know, where faith is made to made you to believe that the star was this guiding light and it, it brought everybody to a place for a reason, for for faith, for belief, for God's will. And at the same point, in the same at the exact same point, because of that choice, millions, possibly millions of people died in that exact same instant. So well, it's just a, yeah. it's an interesting, um, uh, polarizing kind of idea. Well, then even think about like you know how many how many people have been killed in the name of a religion based upon a person that was found under a star. You know, like there's. There's a lot of that. And if this was, if this was a Sterling script, I think that would have been like the, you know, the old shit moment. Then there would have been like a little bit of a hopeful message there at the end of being like, well, we don't understand the ways of man or the ways of God, I should say. But then we get, <laughs> we get Dr. Chandler be like, oh, um, we found a poem that we translated. The poem's like, hey, we're all good. We've been here for a thousand years. We understand that shit's going to go bad, but we hope our legacy lives on peace or whatever the poem says. And, and then he's like, basically he's like, Oh, they were all aware of their fate. I'm like, if they were so good at what they did and had music cubes and art and all this stuff, and they were able to lock up all their shit in one vault, like seems like, seems like they put all their efforts in the wrong direction. I don't know. Like just, I I understand that maybe not everybody can make it, but feels like, you know, like as, as much as we have idiots trying to go to Mars right now, like, you know, um, and by idiots, I mean, not that, you know, humans shouldn't go to Mars, but you know, we, our goal is always to go to some other planet and, and mess it up. You would think they would have figured that out that technology before then. Well, and then there's still the backup plan. If something goes absolutely wrong, yeah, like, hide there. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, like we've had bunkers and stuff like that. I mean, you know, uh, what is a deep impact really isn't that far removed from what actually is going on yeah, in this world. The, 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 the haves and have nots, there is a plan for both of them. That's <laughs> true. And there's also like, there's one of the Scandinavian countries that actually has a, a seed bank that's actually like buried into a mountain that has like seeds of like every known plant that they're keeping it there as and a fail safe. for plants in a sense. Yeah. Uh, so like there, there, there's things that we have in place that it's like, you know, like this, 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 this race of aliens are like, yeah, we're going to give you our oil paintings and our music cubes. And like, um, you know, we thought of the Pizone before you guys did. It was pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever, like, you know, like it just, I don't know. Like, it just seems like, like that the entire race of people were like, you don't you think there was one person be like, Hey, do we have to do this? And they're like. Yes. Why? Because we've had it good for a thousand years. <laughs> it just seems a little weird to me. That's where it fell a little flat for me. Is just like them just kind of coming to this uh, this resolution that, well, we we had a good run, and here, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. we you know we achieved what we wanted. It's like no, that, no, explain that to the kids. You know, like we had a good run there, Johnny. Uh, I know you're only three, but guess what? <laughs> it's it's like i mean it's almost like super with krypton where it's like we know our world's doomed and everyone's like nah it's bullshit and the one guy's like marlon brando's like nah i want to send my kid out because i you know this world's doomed and like he's the one that makes it out (laughs) you know like everyone else is like the world isn't collapsing while the world's collapsing around them that has nothing to do with today but yeah you think that's like all right all right everybody um i guess i guess we're done now turn make sure the lights are turned off 
on yeah, the way out. Break down the curtains. It's over. Yeah. Yeah. No bows necessary. We're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. Like, don't worry. Uh, guys with really weird facial hair are going to find this message and spread it forward. It's fine. But that also makes me wonder too, like this explosion, like if it was timed perfectly for our planet, then that means that like that was God's will. And that's weird. But also that the light from this, you know, Nova would have passed through multiple other like parts of the galaxy. So we're, we're like other people be like, that's our savior. And they just like, they just found this guy like named bill. They're like, Oh, the star led us here. And it's like, well, I guess it was too early, like on a different planet, you know, like, I don't know. There's things that I have. I have a lot of questions. Um, well, as, yeah, I, I know I'm overthinking gr- it. Uh, God's a, a great mathematician and, uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's great at, uh, doing, um, you know, like, uh, his, you know, his mapping. <laughs> yeah. He brought in, uh, uh, Sherman Helmsley, um, from I have Newton right in there to figure it out. Uh, but no, I just, I like it. It's one of those things that as a metaphor, not even a metaphor, but like as a story beat, you're like, oh, okay, this does, like you got the man of science coming in to be like, oh, they were aware, so there might be more faith here. And then the man of faith being like, I, there's more here that I, like I have built my my entire life and belief structure around and it has been shattered. And it's like, I, I like it all, this almost, I mean, it's Arthur C. Clarke. So you're right. It's like hard sci-fi, but this almost feels like this would have been better. Had it been like an episode of star Trek next generation, like give it 40, 40, 45, 50 minutes to explore all the, the more philosophical conversations surrounding it. For sure. I, I, I think this one demanded a little bit longer of a runtime. Yeah. Maybe it would have been presented better in some kind of narrative like that. And I mean, I know that uh, Star Trek especially went into philosophical um, storylines, not necessarily this, but like somewhere kind of like borderline. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, again, philosophical and like in this kind of nature. But it, I don't I don't know this one. I, I, I didn't dislike it, but I also just, I felt like it, it was a failed execution. That's fair. I think, I think the, the premise here, it, like if Sterling would have got his hands on this concept, I think he would have wrote an interesting, like original episode script. This feels like one that could like for that 20, like 22, 24 minute runtime, they mm-hmm. could have, they could have ended up somewhere with it. You know what I mean? Like, I think th- this has the trappings of being like, oh yeah. Cause even then, if you had set that in the sixties with what they think of the future is the, a lot of the things that I, I nitpick would have fallen away. Cause I've been like, well, they didn't, they don't know X, Y, Z, but it's like, now we're in the eighties. We're kind of aware of some of this stuff a little bit more. Right. Um, and I think all, you know, like I, I wish we could have got Serling's take on this. Cause I, th- I mean, it would have been a little preachy, but I kind of would have liked the wordy preachy Serling on this, on this type of story. Yeah. It, it, I think it would have been better. I think in better hands, uh, this could have been, uh, could have been a, a lot stronger of an episode. Yeah. And I think really where, what it mostly boils down is boils down to as being the fault of this is the runtime. Yeah. Like you could have cut, um, you know, but can she type and actually given this more time? And I think it would have been stronger for it. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, but Kenji type was a little long in the tooth. So I didn't, I, <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, that one just like, we could have gotten done with that real quick. But look, look at how close we had Jonathan Frakes in the previous segment. We could have just moved him over to this and been like, that's the next generation. Here we go. Could have Riker here. Anyway, I'm kidding. So, uh, any other notes about this before I get to a little bit of trivia about the episode? 
I, I really don't have anything okay. else. Nah. Rightfully so. <laughs> so, uh, according to the commentary track, uh, that our Brenner, uh, like, by the way, the segment's like, but like with credits is 12 minutes long. Cause you get the credits at the end of the show. He stops talking halfway through the segment. He's like, thanks for listening. And I'm like, you only had seven minutes worth of things to say about this. All right. That tells me a lot. I, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So, when they originally came up with this, so so the first thing to consider is that Brenner came across the story when they were already in production for the Twilight Zone, the TV series, right? So they were thinking about putting together a Christmas episode, which we now know this is what we got with the three segments. And he read this, um, this short story and he was like, okay. And he kind of like wrote like a script for it. And in terms of the sets and everything else going on, they, they, he said it would have been the most expensive, like 10 minutes, like of the entire like season. So it would have been like impossible to do Harlan Ellison, you know, fighter of men and a guy that's really, you know, um, the most important man in the room is always Harlan Ellison actually mentioned to uh, Alan Brenner to cut the design costs by using what's called a limbo set. Meaning if you look at the beginning, when we see the two, the two main characters, they're basically on a soundstage with like everything being black. And there's like three office chairs and a view screen. Like, like you and I both get what they're going for. Right. It's, it's right. a, it's a throwback. It's fine. And Brenner was like, they did this on the, out, the outer limits all the time to kind of cut costs. And so then that's why he uh, suggested Gerd Oswald to direct it. Cause he's done limbo sets before. So yeah, fair play to them. Um, I like, this is a, a cheaper looking segment in the sense of like what you and I believe to be, you know, um, not, um, flattering, uh, spacesuits, but, Knowing that if they had actually tried to, to create an entire bridge of a spaceship, that would have ate into the cost more, and this then this segment would have never come to air. Good bet. Otherwise, I think that I think uh, Ellison coming in and being like, "Hey, you could do this on the cheap uh, for these like the the opening and closing here, and, and still get this across the finish line, and no one's going to give a shit." Um, I agree with that because it's it's more about the story, it's more about the two characters and um, the struggle than being the most sci-fi thing you've seen. So I think that was the right call there. I think that's fair. Yeah. There's definitely a balance because it is about the message or the conversation. Uh, and the story is supposed to be on display here more than anything else. I, I, as much as it does look cheap, I I think it does kind of just move it along. Like you just kind of like go hand wave it and be like, all right, well, we've seen this in the original series too, because, um, what is the, there was the one episode where I looked, I thought it looked cheap AF. It was the the time travel one. Oh, where, like was it like no time like the past or whatever it was yeah, that we saw? Yeah, no time like the present I, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. whatever whatever the heck it was. That season it was, four like, episode that was weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because there was like um, the President Garfield's assassination and all that. It's like it was interesting. Don't get me wrong, but. But yeah. like that was like a, it's a same kind of soundstage uh, presentation of it. Because remember, he had the time belt in that, and it's like, what is even going on? Because he's not just like it was a whole thing. <laughs> it was like you have a time belt, but it's not back there with you. And it's, yeah, anyway, yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of the same thing. Um, I'd even say something like um, like the lonely, or um, they look a lot like us from the original series, where a lot of the spacesuits were just kind of like. Uh, you know, jumpsuits with like some patches sewn on. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Easy enough. Right. 
Uh, even if we go back to what was it? The little people we talked about was it season five, the original series. Like, yeah, you get it. You're in outer space and then you're landing on a planet and you're going to go shoot in the desert. Fair enough. But with this, it's like, okay, okay, cool. I, I'm fine. Like I'm because it, it like the, this is science fiction in the sense of what the story is being, being it's taking place in outer space, but I don't need, I don't need like alien level technology. You know, I don't need like that kind of like, I need to see all the monitors. I need to see the sleep pods, you know, like whatever. So I think that works. I think it works. Okay. It works fine for what it is. Um, other part I have here too, is that, uh, uh, Phil DeGuerre, who was one of the producers uh, on the show, and we've talked about him previously. He actually knew Arthur C. Clarke from, um, a previous work because, uh, DeGuerre had actually adapted one of Clarke's stories into a screenplay for a film. So they actually had like a, like a friendship or a working relationship. So whenever, um, they were thinking about getting the rights to the star, because the ending of this is different than the story. And I'm not sure how, however, based upon the commentary, it's implied that Arthur C. Clarke isn't so much a man of faith, but this is left on a more like hopeful, like faith-based kind of ending. Um, so what happened is, uh, Daguerre reached out to Clark and he's like, here's the script that we have. Can we do it? And Clark just signed off on it. He didn't give any notes. He's like, okay, that's fine. And the deal they set up was like a two to three year deal, meaning like for rights. So meaning they didn't own the story in you know, perpetuity. So the moment like the thing could like lapse, anybody could pick this up again and make their own adaptation. So Clark didn't have a problem with it. Uh, a lot of Arthur C. Clark fans have actually came uh, out like, like against Brennert and the and be like, how dare you change this? It's like, uh, and, and Brennert, he was like, you know, if I approach this now, according to the commentary track, which was like in the nineties when he recorded it, he's like, would I write it differently? Probably. Cause like, but you know, this is the story I wanted to tell. And, and Arthur C. Clarke actually was aware of it and didn't tell me, he didn't tell me he didn't dislike it. He might've been indifferent, but he didn't like actively oppose this version of the story, which, you know, you, you, you and I both know that there's been adaptations of works from people that have like, they get pissed at how their work's been represented. And Arthur C. Clarke was a big enough name that if he was said, like, I don't like this, Brennert was willing to immediately switch back to the original ending if he got pushed back, and that never happened. Well, that's good. I mean, that's, that's awesome to hear. I mean, when, especially when you are a screenplay uh, writer or, you know, you're adapting somebody else's story, you want to make that transition as best as possible, you know, not obviously piss off anybody. Uh, because you know you want to keep that working relationship. Maybe there w- might have been other adaptations in the future if he had this continuous relationship with him. I mean, don't don't burn bridges, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it's also like that's what Brenner was saying. Like during the the commentary track, he's like, if anybody feels that I didn't do this justice, the rights are out there. Go do your own. Which fair enough, fair play, right? Like I think, because they like he said that like most of the stories that they um, optioned for the Twilight Zone were really, really like in terms of like basically they're two to three years and they had the right to produce it once for broadcast. Meaning, obviously they can rerun it, but they couldn't make multiple adaptations of it. Like they have one shot at it, and I think I think that's the fair way to approach a lot of these deals because then that gives the writer or creator the opportunity to. Um, you know, still make money off of their work if somebody else wants to come along and adapt it again, which I think, I think fair enough. And also the problem, I'm sure the prices were lower than based upon that type of deal set up. Oh, more than likely. Yeah. I mean, it, everybody's coming by to make some money. I, how many times have we heard about uh, that? Something's open for the rights. So yeah. somebody comes along and makes it again and it makes it again. I mean, 
you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula. How many times can we take the character of Dracula and like put him in a storyline? You know? Yeah. Well, that mean I think some of that's a little different because I think a lot of that's um, like public domain now, so that gets a little weird too, right? But I know that there is a window in which a creator's allowed to reclaim rights, right? Cause we like not to get into it, but that's, that was the whole Friday 13th thing, right? Cause there was a certain amount of time that passed when Victor Miller uh, came in back and he was like, I want this. And that became a whole like thing. Right. So, yeah. um, but I think, I think CBS and this iteration of the twilight zone was much more creator friendly. I'm, I'm sure with having Harlan Ellison around, he was probably like, Hey, my stories, you know, about a kid burying some toy soldiers in the backyard of a house or whatever that's meant I want to make that again later. <laughs> you know, like, let me get my money again and again and again. I mean, if only, but right. No, I, I, I see the difference, but at the same point, I think the, obviously the most uh, respectable approach is getting kind of like that groundwork laid out. Like, uh, you know, Bernard did with, uh, Clark. So, I mean, that, 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 that's a hell of a working relationship and not often do you really see that at least in this time period. Yeah. Know, that seems the- respectful. And like, yeah, I mean, yeah, we know, we know of other things where people kind of got screwed for rights for quite a long time. So yeah, that's, exactly. that's, yeah, that's the trivia I have for, uh, the star. Um, I know we nothing else to say. Like it was, it was okay. It's just, it, it, this is one of the few times where I think that we needed more to get it across the finish line. And I think you and I, you and I both agree on that. So, um, yeah. Um, so without anything else to, to comment on, we should uh, go ahead and rate that twist. <laughs> twist rating as always is one meaning we saw from a mile away and five meaning mind blowing. Um, you know, Christmas episode called the star, um, I guess, I guess I'll give it a three knowing that they actually visited a society that they're, their supernovas, what, you know, uh, gave us like, um, the spotlight to Jesus. I didn't see that coming. I'm going to give it a four because it really didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't laid out in front of me. I didn't put two and two together of the star being the star of Bethlehem and this being that connective tissue. Like, I I mean, especially considering it's, it takes place in the distant future Mm -hmm. and these guys are space explorers and going to a dead planet. Like I didn't make that. That's fair. I mean, if you go back and and check it out, like, like people, if you watch a second time there, you got uh, Chandler being like, well, doesn't this look like a Christmas tree? And like, by the way, there's a present, like there's, there's a little bit there. That's a little bit of foreshadowing that at least enough that I can appreciate that they're hinting at something bigger. You know, as, you know, but yeah, that's fair. I, yeah, I, a, a three to four, I think is fair. That's not, again, the twist rating doesn't judge our enjoyment of the segment or the episode, but it like, yeah, like it, you know, knowing, knowing where it's going now, I did not know that where, where it was going. So credit, credit to the segment for that. Yeah, for sure. I didn't, and that was just something that I don't necessarily feel like that it like made my, my head spin, but yeah, they did a good job of just kind of like, leading me in and making me interested. Yeah. So, all right. Um, so let's go do it for a discussion about, uh, uh, season one, episode 13, segment C, the star. You guys can find us on Facebook at strange highways. Uh, you can email us directly at strange highways, uh, podcast, gmail.com. Let us know your favorite 85, uh, JC Penny, uh, toys that you would have catalog toys that you would have wanted and tell us why it's mask and tell us why it's slot cars. <laughs> Uh, and if you do get slot cars, let us know. Cause we'll come over and hang out. It'll be like, we'll, we'll do a live recording and it'll be amazing. And, um, we'll, br- be, we'll bring our own cars. 
<laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be the mine will be all mad maxed out. So yeah. I'll, like, get ready. I, I'll just, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm going to, I was trying to find some micro machines to talk about, but I think this came later. Uh, and I, cause I was like looking at the matchbox cars, but I'm like, Oh, there's micro machines. Like I'll, I'll figure out something. Like, Paul, your, your car is a Twinkie. I'm like, yeah, it will go though. I'm going to sell on the track and see what happens. Anyway. Uh, you know, let us know your, uh, you know, what you wanted for Christmas then, uh, that you didn't get, but you're an adult now, so you can get it this Christmas, right? Uh, wherever you find your podcast, rate and review us, be greatly appreciated. If you enjoyed the conversation, uh, let other people know the more, the merrier, um, uh, even no matter how we feel about the segments that we watch, uh, I always look forward to the conversation with Terry. I always look forward to the conversation sharing it with, with you all. Um, it's always fun. It's a bright spot of my week. It is, it is the star of my week. I'm, I, I say that knowing that a, a distant, uh, civilization died so that it could shine on for me each week. And I appreciate that. Um, and Terry, where can you fly us? Otherwise that got dark and bright. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We're on Instagram. Uh, so please check us out on there. Uh, share, share the, share the news, share the, the wealth. I mean, like, we're doing this. We're having a lot of fun. Uh, we, we cherish every conversation that we have with each other. Paul and I really want somebody to reach out to us and have a conversation with us as well. So please, please reach out to us. We're lonely without you, but we don't want to live in this, uh, this vacuum where it's only him and I talking to yeah, each it's other. O- it's only Tell us about- Terry and I traveling in a penis shaped rocket, uh, ship going out into the depths <laughs> of space. We're in the balls. <laughs> We're in like- the balls. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> left and yeah. right, left and right. You figure it out, people. You figure out who's left and right. You know. Anyway. Yeah, we're, but we are recording this prior to uh, Thanksgiving, so this will be released. If you're listening to it now. It is Black Friday. Tell us about the toys you got. Tell us. Tell us about all the toys you wanted. Yes. You got them because you bought them. Because you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably an adult and you can afford your own toys. <laughs> yeah. You know. Treat yourself. That's how real. That's how real adults do it. They don't wait for somebody to try to pick something off a list or highlight things in a in a five hundred page catalog for hoping for them to get it for them. That's true. You like, get it yourself. My wife gets frustrated <laughs> with me because like she's like, "What do you want for Christmas?" So I'm like, "Nothing," because if it, if it's something I want, I just go get it. Yeah, like, you know that's how that's how adults do it, man. Like I, I uh, you know, brief aside, like a uh, friend of show Richard asked me if I had uh, or he told me that he had the devastator toy. And I was like, huh, I would love to have had that. He's like, put it on the list. I was like, yeah, I'm going to put disappointment on there too. Cause I know which one I'm going to get. <laughs> I, it sounds like, it sounds like he should mail that to you. He should mail you each piece of devastator, um, to make your dreams come true. Um, like, and then, and then I could bust up my insecticons that I bought two, two or three years ago. I overpaid for them and then I could mess up putting the stickers on them. I think we would have a good Christmas together. So, uh, yeah, like people, yeah, let us like, like again, like, you know, follow us on Instagram. Uh, and just again, if you enjoy the conversation, if you enjoy the show, let people know, like I, there's so many podcasts out there now. Um, and if, if you're, if you, we, we are so thankful that you, you take the opportunity to check us out and let us be part of your work, your work week or, or whatever. Um, and if you enjoy the, the dumbass things we say more so me than Terry, Terry, Terry brings the, the sex appeal and the smarts to the show. Um, yeah, let people know. Yeah, for, for sure. It would be greatly appreciated. I mean, uh, thank you guys. You know, this is uh, a, you know, a special time of year for us because, you know, 
it's uh, the holidays, and you know, yeah. if, if you have a, a way to escape reality for a little bit and listen to our podcast, thanks. You know, like I mean, the world's chaotic. So thank you. Well, and it's also like Thanksgiving week, which I think is funny that we've ended our trio of, of Christmas stories and we're ending it on Thanksgiving week. So look at us, look at us rushing the holidays ahead. So, all right. Um, so let's just get into uh, what we're talking about uh, next. And now Mr. Serling next episode, we're getting into a season one episode 14 segment, a still life. Um, I don't know what this is. Um, and I've, I purposely tried to not read about it because uh, you know, if it's something I don't know, uh, I want to go on blind and yeah, we're, we're boldly going into episode 14 after our Christmas trio. And, uh, yeah, I looking forward to it. Looking for the conversation as always, everybody have a good holiday. Um, you know, um, gorge yourself on, um, your protein and, uh, foods of choice. Uh, and then, you know, um, I don't know, pass out listening to your favorite music cube. I got, I got nothing else. And carbon date your faith. I think we've been down this road before, my friend. So why don't I just wish you a simple, non-denominational Merry Christmas? Let it go at that. <laughs>